There is unimaginable power in water. The power to give life. And the power to take it away. Its force can destroy entire cities. Yet a single well can sustain a village. We pray for rain to fall on thirsty soil and bring a new harvest. We yearn for it, but we're never fully satisfied. The same sea that God parted to rescue his chosen people, he brought crashing down to destroy their enemies. And when the relentless waves of life crash down, drowning us in the depths of despair, only one hope keeps us holding on to be rescued, revived, raised to life. Good morning, everybody. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. I'm the lead teaching pastor here at Christ the King. Glad that you're here. You know, this will be my 17th, uh, 17th Easter on staff, my 14th Easter as the teaching pastor. And if I look back over the trend over the years, I realize I'm really, really good at going fast this time of year. I'm not very good at slowing down and just thinking and, and, and being in the moment of what it was that Jesus went through in order to create this beautiful thing that we celebrate on Easter. So maybe your challenge today to give God your full attention because there's just a lot of stuff on your list. Let's take a moment just here. Let, let's just stop for a second and pause and ask God just to remove all of the distractions so that we can hear only what he wants us to hear today. Believe me, if you walk out of here and the only voice that you hear is mine, then you probably wasted your time. But we want to hear from him today. So let's just take a moment, bow our heads, close our eyes, just take a big deep breath. Let's ask the Lord to really speak to us today. Father God, I don't want to miss this moment. I don't want to get so caught up in what I have to get done today that I miss you. So Lord, would you invade this space right now? Would you meet everyone exactly where they need to be met? Would you push away the distractions and help us to see you and only you? And God, would you tune our ears so we can hear your voice? That we would leave here very different than how we walked in. And Lord, may we give you great praise. As the God who raised your son to life and wants to do the same for us. May we never lose sight of that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Awesome. So I like to ride quietly in my car. I'm not a big radio person because I tend to use my words up. Believe it or not, I am a raging introvert. And so uh, I just like the peace and the quiet. And I've had to do a lot of driving this last couple of weeks, just back and forth, multiple different things going on in my world. And the other day... I had a moment where I, for whatever reason, I hit the radio button in my little beat-up Honda Accord, and a radio station popped on very loudly, which means one of my kids has been driving my car, and, 
And a word came across the, the radio waves that took me back. The word was jitterbug. Jitterbug. You put the boom boom into my heart. You send my whole sky high like when you love and starts. You jitterbug into my brain. It goes a bang, bang, bang till my feet do the same. And in that moment, I went back to the glorious days of 1984. Some of you remember that, right? In 1984, there was a group of people that thought they were cool wearing very large t-shirts with neon lettering around them that spelled out the word wham. Why? I have no idea, but that's what we were wearing. If you weren't wearing your wham shirt, you were wearing, if you were a guy, a powder pink polo shirt with the collar popped. You remember that, right, guys? And a mint green sweater over top of it. Or if you were a rap fan, you were wearing MC Hammer genie pants because you were too legit to quit. Unless, of course, you were a 1980s hair metal fan and then you were wearing spandex, which was, is, and always will be wrong, especially if you're a guy. <laughs> Just saying, okay? Being cool in the 1980s was gauged on a, a, on a level, it, it was basically correlated with the size of the lenses on your Varney sunglasses. You remember those, don't you? Which held up your bangs, because everybody's bangs at that time was like this. Don't ask me why. If you were a girl, you had this 80s epic hair. If you were a guy, you were sporting a mullet that was business in the front, party in the back, Right? And that's just how it rolled at that time. And you carried a cell phone that was literally the size of a brick. It was huge. You remember that, right? Zach Morris. That's who we were, all trying to be. But it was okay to carry a cell phone on this side of your head because you had to balance off your body to balance out the weight of the boombox, which you walked around with it on your shoulder so that everyone could hear what you, were, what you were singing along to. And if you were in 1984, you were probably singing the 1984 number one song, Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go, which started with Jitterbug. I mean, you remember that, right? It was the 1980s, and it was glorious. I mean, just a single word took me screaming back all of these years. I call it a throwback. And today, I want to walk you through a biblical throwback. I have, a, I have a habit every year as we get ready for Easter, I like to read through 1 Corinthians. I like to read through 1 Corinthians so that on Easter Sunday morning, I land in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So as I'm reading along this past week, I'm reading 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It's a scripture that takes me back. The Bible says this, for I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, so that would be for all of us, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and they ate all the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. So I read those words. It's a summary of Moses and the people of Israel being raised to life out of a hopeless situation. I remember a truth that I think is worth just passing on over and over and over again. Whenever you are reading your Bible, you should remember this. Every story in the Old Testament finds its hope, fulfillment, and realization in the Jesus of the New Testament. Let me say that again. Every story in the Old Testament, I don't care how obscure, strange, or weird it may be, it finds its hope, fulfillment, and realization in the Jesus of the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says this, for no matter how many promises God has made, 
They are yes in Christ. And so through Jesus, the amen. Some of you are wondering, well, why do people say amen all the time around here? It means so be it, or it's true, or that's it right there. That's what it means. And so through Jesus, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. So every story in the Old Testament points us to the Jesus of the New Testament. Earlier, I just read to you from 1 Corinthians 10. That verse in 1 Corinthians flashes us back to the biblical book of Exodus. Let me give you a quick recap, just in case you missed the flannel graph story in Sunday school, or you missed the Disney release of this particular story, and maybe you've never heard it before, and I am so honored to be able to share it with you for the first time. The Bible begins way back, Adam and Eve, and then through a series of people, God gives birth to the nation of Israel through a man by the name of Abraham. And Abraham basically is the forerunner of this entire nation of Israel. And the Israelites, we learned in the stuck series, they get stuck in their sin cycle over and over and over again. And every time they get stuck in their sin cycle, it always results in exactly the same outcome, slavery. They end up enslaved because of their own sin. Now, before they get enslaved, God makes a promise, as he always does. Genesis 15, the Bible says this, as God promises freedom to the people of Israel, he says, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they will come out with great possession. So in this point in history, we're talking about the Israelites being enslaved by the nation of Egypt. And God appoints a guy by the name of Moses to go to Pharaoh and, and tell him, you need to let my people go. It's the famous line, right? And the Pharaoh of Egypt responds multiple times. Uh, no. No, you're not people are going anywhere. So God sends 10 plagues onto the nation of Egypt until Pharaoh has had enough. And at that point, God physically delivers the Israelites from physical slavery. And it's important to know that it's actually a physical manifestation of that kind of deliverance. The Bible says this in the book of Exodus, during the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, up, leave my people, you and the Israelites, go worship the Lord as you have requested. If you keep reading in the same passage, it says, Pharaoh says, take your flocks and your herds as you've said and go and, oh yeah, by the way, bless me, because apparently the God who's been sending all these plagues is really, really angry. So bless me, but basically in biblical terms, get out of here. Just go. I don't want you around anymore. You guys are causing problems for me. So the Israelites leave in the middle of the night. And then Pharaoh, as often happens with leaders, stops for a second and has a moment of clarity. And he thinks to himself, I just lost my entire workforce. That's not a good economic decision. Get the army and chase those guys down and bring them back here because the, the pyramids are only half done and we got work to do. So the Israelites run and they end up pinned up against the coast of the Red Sea. And it's hopeless. There is nowhere for them to go. You can just imagine, right? There's nothing in front of you but water. Behind you, there's a group of, of a million or so whining, sniveling, complaining people saying to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die? And behind them is the Egyptian army, the most advanced army in history at that particular time. And they are pressing in hard. Moses cries out to God, and God hears, and he keeps his promise, the promise that he made that they were going to experience freedom. So God saves the Israelites from a hopeless situation on the coast of the Red Sea, and the people are freaking out, and in that moment, Moses distinguishes himself as a leader, because this is what he says. Moses answered the people, 
Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring to you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. For the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. I think we need to hear that as much as the Israelites do. Because I'm going to tell you something, my friends, my brothers and my sisters. No matter how fruitless or hopeless it may seem, I want to remind you of something today in church. The God you serve is bigger than the headline on the front of your newspaper. He's bigger, he's stronger, he's in complete control. No detail has escaped his purview. He understands your world and the situation of the world completely, thoroughly, and he is so in charge. So what do we need to do? I love the fact that Moses tells you, just be still. People of Christ the King, be still. We're so much about doing today. We've forgotten what it means to simply be still in the presence of God. As God says to you, trust me. Take a breath. Breathe. Relax. Chill. The Bible says God makes a miraculous way of escape. And it's crazy. Because he makes a way of escape through the water. The Bible says this, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove back the sea with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. And the waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and a wall of water on their left. Can you imagine that? God stacks up the Red Sea on both sides. And you're walking through, seeing a wall of water here and a wall of water here and all of the sea life going on on either side of you. I don't know if it was wide. I don't know if you could touch it on both sides. I have no idea. All I can imagine is it must have been fun to walk through the bottom of a sea on dry land. I would have been walking along going, Nemo, <laughs> Dory, good to see you, Turtle, Sebastian, Ariel, Will, right? I mean, how amazing would that have been? They walk through the water. And I want to remind you of something that's so important. The process of walking through the water started with salvation. Salvation already happened back on the beach. We get that? And now they're walking through the water in obedience as a community to find deliverance on the other side. And that's a picture for all of us. We experience the salvation of Jesus... And then we do this crazy thing called baptism where we walk through the water as a public declaration of our faith in Jesus. And then we spend the rest of our life walking on a path of deliverance and hope as we live out the mission of Jesus right here where God planted us. And it's important. The order is important. You know, because before the Israelites even saw the path, God made a call to his people. God calls his people to trust him. Trust him. I mean, you can imagine, you're on the coast, God splits the sea, and then he says, you're going to walk through, and you've got no guarantee that the water's going to hold. I'm sure that was a little scary and intimidating for them. But God calls his people to trust him. Here's what the Bible says. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. 
And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. God calls to his people, trust me. I will save you. I will deliver you. I will watch over you. I am your salvation. Now I'm calling you to obey and walk through the water. Well, if God's the same yesterday, today, and forever, then in exactly the same way for us, don't forget what we talked about at the beginning of the message, right? Every story of the Old Testament finds its fulfillment in the Jesus of the New Testament. So I love this so much. So keep that Old Testament frame. Now let's paint a picture inside of it. In the same way for us, Jesus promises freedom to all who believe. The Bible says if you believe, you will realize one day you were born for freedom. That's why the Bible says this. So if the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. John chapter 8, verse 36. So in the Old Testament, the God of heaven physically delivers the Israelites from physical slavery. Jesus does exactly the same for us, but in a different way. Jesus spiritually delivers us from spiritual slavery. Now, some of us react to the word slavery because it's an ugly word with an ugly history. If you don't like that word, good. That's awesome. It means you're a thinking, breathing human being. But some of us, unfortunately, react to the word slavery for the wrong reason. Because we hear the word slavery and just like, I'm not a slave to anything. Nothing enslaves me. Would you be offended to find out that the Bible disagrees with you? John 8, 34, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Oh. So what does that mean, Grant? Come on. Like, lay it out for us. Let me say this as kindly and gently as I can. If you can't let go of something, if you can't release something from your past that you did or was done to you, and I hate to break it to you, but you're a slave to that memory. And you're a slave to that past. If you love to take a, a morsel of information that somebody gives you, because it's just really, really cool to have info on somebody else, and, and you share it with somebody other than the person whose name that story actually revolves around, I hate to break this to you, but you're not a public service information officer, you're a slave to gossip. If you're consumed with never having enough, and you always need more, your whole world is about accumulating and stockpiling because that's where you think your security and your acceptance is going to come from. I hate to break this to you, but you're a slave to stuff. Let me press in further. If you're a slave to stuff, you don't own it. It owns you. If you have to find sexual release in front of a flickering computer screen, I hate to tell you this, but you're a slave to lust. If you're convinced, as I walk through all of these different things, that, that you're just fine, and you're completely capable, and that the only roadblock in your life is your stinking thinking, I hate to break it to you, but you're a slave to idolatry, and the idol's you. Can we just stop for a second and be honest? Where are you shackled? Where are you shackled? Some of us voluntarily, we have shackled ourselves to something that we know is not honoring 
to God. Where are you shackled? Where have you forgotten that whenever you're shackled, Jesus has a key? Where have you forgotten that? I mean, if you can admit that there's areas in your life where you're enslaved, then, then here's some unbelievably good news. One of my favorite verses, Galatians 5.1. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm then and don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. God keeps saying, don't keep going back and shackling yourself to stuff that I died for so that you could be set free. Don't keep going back and grabbing the handcuffs. If you are free, if the Son has set you free, you're free indeed. So you no longer need to attach yourself to that. I mean, think about the picture. The Israelites are hemmed in against the edge of the Red Sea. We're all hemmed in by our own sin. And there's nothing in front of us but a sea of despair. And behind us coming hard is an accuser who loves to condemn us as the failures that we are. And into that broken situation steps Jesus Christ. And Jesus saves us from a hopeless situation of our own sin. Ephesians 2. Somewhat depressing passage, at least for the first half. It says, as for you, that would mean me, also you, but I'm going to share the pain, okay? As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And I don't even like the rest of the next two and a half verses, because Paul goes on to describe me, which I absolutely resent him doing. Because he talks about people that are led around by their desires and cravings and how we become complicit in our own sin. And just before I get ticked off and slam my Bible shut because it's true and that just bothers me when the Bible actually speaks truth to me, verse 4 shows up with this beautiful word. But. You were dead in your transgressions, but. Listen to this. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. Fancy word for sin. For it is by grace you have been saved. And then verse 6 goes on and says this, and God raised us up with Christ. That's where we got the theme for Easter this year. And God raised us up with Christ. We were raised to life with and by Jesus, which means this, Jesus makes a way out. Just like God split the Red Sea, Jesus makes a way out. He makes a miraculous way of escape through his blood. Ephesians 1.7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin in accordance with the riches of God's grace. So let's make sure we understand this. On the cross, Jesus saves me. And even though I bring my brokenness to him, he offers me redemption, which means I've been bought twice, restored and renewed. And then he calls me into the water. Make no mistake about that step. He calls me into the water and we walk through it together. And then when I crawl out on the other side, God calls me to a life of obedience that I'm supposed to pursue for the rest of my days. And only God knows how many days I've got, so I better make him count. On the beach, God called his people to trust him. Today, God is calling his people to trust him. And then to walk through in obedience. He calls us to trust him. He's like, where you get that from, Grant? John chapter 14, verse 1. Jesus speaking, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. That's pretty clear. 
So he calls us to trust him in salvation. He calls us to trust him in the water. He calls us to trust him because this is what God wants us to know. Even when the water's stacked on both sides, I won't let you drown. I'm not going to let you drown. I want you to live. I want you to live free. And God is calling to all of us. I went public with my love for you, and now I'm calling you to go public with your love for me. That's why we baptize around here. I know it seems strange. It is kind of a strange custom when you think about it, right? You know, what did you do? Went to church? What did they do? Stuck me in a pool? Put me under? Brought me back up again? Everybody clapped. It was crazy. But now you know the rest of the story, and God's been telling this story since the beginning of the Bible. The same story over and over and over again, and then it's made perfect in its completion in Jesus Christ. I want to remind you of something. Baptism doesn't save you. Do you remember that? Baptism doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. Baptism just tells the rest of the world that you get what Jesus did in saving you. It's the beautiful part of it. I like throwbacks, whether it's in your car when you turn on the radio and it just takes you back to the glory days of the 1980s, or whether you open your Bible and you read something and it goes, oh yeah, it takes you back. Looking back can be powerful. Looking back can be fun. If we look back just to go through a, a curation of all of the failures in, our, in the museum of our memories, the Bible tells us don't do that. But when you look back, it can be so powerful and so profound. And let me tell you why. Because anything that takes you back can also remind you of just how far you've come. I mean, when, they, when the Israelites walked up that coastline and popped out on the other side of the Red Sea, I'm sure there was one or two of them that just kind of turned around and looked like, went, wow, did you see what we just came through? We just walked through a sea on dry land. I think I may have to remember that so I can tell my kids and my grandkids about how faithful God has been. You know, it's crazy. God does that kind of stuff, and then we forget. He brings us out of the brokenness of our life, and then we just forget. And we start going along, and we get wrapped up in the ritual of all the things that we're doing, and we just stop for a second can we just stop for a second and say, I just want to remember how far God's brought me. And I'm going to remind you, this is Palm Sunday. It's a Sunday when, when we stop for a second. Because it's amazing to me. That, that parade of people that went through the Red Sea several generations later, another parade is happening. And it happens on the week before what we call Holy Week. The parade of people cross through the Red Sea. God is there. And then their, their kids, their grandkids, stacked up in generations. They line up on the streets of Jerusalem. And, 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 and Jesus comes and he rides in on, on a small donkey. And, and, and they're so excited because God has actually showed up. They believe somebody has come to deliver them from the tyranny of the Roman Empire. And they put down palm fronds and they lay their, their coats and their jackets down to make a way as, as Jesus enters into the holy city of Jerusalem. And if you're coming with me in a couple of weeks to Israel, we're going to stand in exactly that spot on the same stones. 
And they gather around, and the Bible tells us that they shouted, God save us, Hosanna. God save us. And here's what's heartbreaking. Here's what's hypocritical. Here's what is so difficult for us. The same people who screamed, Hosanna, God save us. Just a couple of days later, we're screaming something else. Crucify him. Crucify him. Got a question for you, church. Next Sunday, what's going to come out of your mouth? God save us. Crucify him. Or, let's throw a third option out there. He is risen. May God protect us from being like the hypocrites of Palm Sunday who scream on Sunday morning, God save us, and just a few days later through our actions are crucifying Jesus over and over and over and over and over again. May God make us the kind of people who, ma- who want to make space for those who are coming so that they can maybe for the first time cry out to Jesus, God save me. God save me. And it may all of it be done under the banner of three words that I never get tired of saying. He is risen. He is risen. God's not dead. He's alive. He's risen. That's why we do this crazy thing called Easter. That's why we're going to do something next week, honestly, scares me to death. I'm terrified. Every single Easter, I know people love it. You know, they come in and they put on their cool little dresses, you know, and they go collect Easter eggs. I think that stuff's all awesome. I think it's fantastic. Easter's probably the hardest week of my year because I struggle with what God wants me to say because I'm absolutely obsessed with this thought. If people hear Grant next week, what a colossal waste of time. Somehow, Grant's got to learn to become completely invisible so that the only voice people hear is Jesus. I can't save anybody. You can't save anybody. I can't deliver anybody. You can't deliver anybody. None of us can do anything. Apart from him, we can do nothing. That's what the Bible says. And so I tend to be fairly tortured the week before Easter. You don't believe me? Ask Laurel. She just watches me, just kind of go into this dark place because I'm struggling and I'm battling. And here's what I need from you as my spiritual family. I need you guys to pray. Because I hear two voices during Easter. I hear the voice of Jesus saying, I'm alive. I hear the voice of Satan saying, you're a failure. You don't deserve to say a word and that's true and it takes everything in me to be able to speak to that voice and say greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world the same God who parted the sea is the same God who stands with me on that tiny little platform so shut your mouth because he is risen We're going to give people an opportunity to come to Christ next week. You need to know that. We're going to do it kindly. We're going to do it gently. We're going to do it courageously. 
Then we're going to have an opportunity for people to get baptized. Some of those that accept Christ next week are going to have an opportunity to get baptized. Some of you sitting here, you've never been baptized before, and next weekend's your weekend. God's calling you out, and I just want to encourage you to take that step. Parents, I want to say something to you, okay? Just because of the way Easter works around here, this is not a good opportunity for you to sprint out of church, go get your kid and slam them in a pool because you think it's going to do something for them spiritually, okay? I just want to tell you this. Parents, can I coach you just for a second? The only time your child should be baptized is when they show up to you one day and say, Mom or Dad, I want to be baptized, to which you should say, why? And if they can clearly articulate the reasons why they want to be baptized, then game on. But you shouldn't be pushing them, coercing them, or forcibly placing them in a bathtub, because the only thing that's going to do is they're going to come home wet. Congratulations, right? That's not what baptism's all about. We have other times during the year when we would love have your kids be a part of that. We'll take them through a class. We'll make sure they know exactly what it is they're doing. Next weekend, that's just not the, it's not, not the best time to be able to do that. We're going to baptize. In the days before on Good Friday, Todd already talked about this. I'm going to do two services, 6 and 7.30. I want to just encourage you. You may have to put a reminder on your phone. Let's face it, we're not in the rhythm of coming to church on a Friday night. At least I'm not. We'll be here at 6, we'll be here at 7.30. We're going to put a communion table right down the center of the room. Those in the front are going to walk to the back. Those in the back are going to come towards the front. And we're going to meet in the middle and we're going to look into the eyes of each other as we remember just what Jesus did for us. And it's quiet and it's reflective because you can't do resurrection Unless you go through crucifixion first. And then on Easter weekend, we're going to have four opportunities. And we're going to call people to Jesus in all of them. We're going to baptize in all of them. And we're going to pray that everyone goes home whispering three words. He's risen. So why are we doing this? You'll notice lately, I've been trying to mess with your ritual just a little bit because we get so formulaic in our approach to Christ. Let me tell you why we're going to do this. We're going to do this because there are some of us in this room, and I won't include everybody because I don't want to speak for you, but there are some of us in this room who still believe in crazy stuff. Some of us actually believe that God can part seas. Some of us believe that God can remove burial stones. Some of us believe that virgins can still get pregnant. <laughs> Some of us believe that the Son of God actually came and walked on this earth with us for a little while. And that we have seen His glory. Some of us believe that Jesus paid a price that none of us can pay. Some of us still believe that we have a God who walks on water. We still believe that God is doing things in and today. We still believe that God is transforming lives. We still believe that God is sticking the word former in front of all different kinds of stuff, ugly garbage stuff, because he's transforming people. And we get to, to proudly proclaim to Jesus that I'm, I'm a former addict or I'm a former liar, I'm a former pre-processed Christian that just went through the motions, that, that I'm a former stuck believer, but that no longer, that we're going to keep moving out in the right direction because we still believe that the God who did all this stuff that we talked about this morning is still doing it. 
And the world looks at us and says, you guys are nuts. Guilty as charged. Call, go ahead. Call me a fool. I would rather be a fool in the eyes of a man than a fool in the eyes of God. And you know, we sing songs around here. In a minute, I'm going to give you a chance to sing one. And I'm going to tell you the words that are going to come out of your mouth. And my prayer is that you'll just let them sink, make an 18-inch drop from your brain into your heart. Our Father everlasting, the all-creating one, God Almighty. Through your Holy Spirit, conceiving Christ the Son, Jesus our Savior. Because I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. My God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. Our judge and our defender suffered and crucified. Forgiveness is in you. Descended into darkness, you rose in glorious life, forever seated high. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. My God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection. I believe that we will rise again for I believe in the name of Jesus. I believe in life eternal. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in the saints' communion and in His holy, broken, upside down. The bride wears white because the bridegroom says so church i believe in your holy church i believe in the resurrection when jesus come again because i believe in the power of the name of jesus to split seas walk on water conceives life where there should be no life i still believe that he is risen So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. The band's going to get set up. We're going to give back to God our tithes and our offerings. If you're a guest, would you please be our guest when we do this? Because your gift to us is the fact that you showed up this week. Thank you so much for coming. I hope you'll come back on Easter weekend. I want to say thank you to those of you who, who faithfully and regularly give to the ministry of CTK. Thank you. We can't do this without you. And from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Thank you. To those of you who give online, thanks. Thanks. Thank you for being faithful. Thank you for being regular in that. Thank you for helping us do this. And I know sometimes it feels like you're kind of invisible, but from someone who benefits from this every single day, thank you. So in a moment, the ushers are going to start in the back, work their way towards the front, and we're going to stand and we're going to sing when the offering has passed us by. Let's pray before we do that. Father God, Lord Jesus, we don't want to be like the people of Palm Sunday who screamed, God save us, and days later were shouting, crucify him. Father, we want to be the bearers of good news on Easter weekend, that he is risen. So Father, thank you for loving us, delivering us, and walking alongside of us. And now, as we give back to you, a small portion of what you have blessed us with. I pray that you would bless it and multiply it. Lord, as we walk through Holy Week, may we never be more than a thought away from the price that Jesus paid so that we could say, He is risen and Jesus saves. 
So Lord, as we stand in a moment to declare these truths, may they press deeply into our hearts and souls. And may our lives be forever changed. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say, Amen. 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 The ushers are starting.